Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast connecting theology to everyday life by examining various doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm Robert Kane. How are you? And who are you? Who are I'm you, Rick? I'm Rick Robley. I'm Rick. <laughs> I'm, Rick. I'm here every week. Um, yep. For um, I'm not sure why I'm here, but I'm here. Yeah. So back in the saddle. Back in as the o- saddle. As you guys know from last episode's um, Instagram posts there, that we had a little um, technical dip. Difficulty, we will say, because yeah. I did not record mm. first time in two years, and it was my fault. Felt terrible. Glad we didn't record the whole episode, though. Um, so the cool thing is, we re-recorded everything, primo production, a lot of heart, a lot of tears, um, and then I just completely forgot to send it to Rob. So yeah, that's true. I didn't realize the listeners didn't hear that. Left Rob high and dry. Yeah, I, I texted him. So it's like. Yeah, we, I woke we, up to a text. It's like, recorded. hey, man, you going to upload that audio? And we recorded <laughs> like, it uh. on Tuesday at, I don't know, it was, I don't know, uh. seven or eight. And then obviously. Eastern Standard Time. Eastern Standard Time. And then we had to re record. Yeah. And so we finished, I don't know, like 9 30, 10. And then it's like 10 30, 11. I'm working on um, my side of the audio. And then I looked in our Google Drive and. <laughs> I don't see Rick's side of the audio. And so I text him around 11 o'clock. This thing's supposed to yeah. be posted in less than an hour. Like, hey, uh, Where's you, your audio? you're going to upload that audio? We're kind of getting down to the wire. And then no response. And so I'm like, he fell asleep. This guy fell asleep. I was in bed. So I went ahead and um, just used the audio that I had recorded of Rick on my side. And it turned out okay. But Rick felt yeah. so bad when he got up in the yeah, morning. Yeah, felt terrible. Texted me. So. Well, because I already like blew it the, <laughs> on the first recording, and then I was like, "How in the world did I forget to like do the one th- like?" I joke about this, but it's true. Rob does the vast all the technical stuff. He does all the stuff with the website, all the stuff with the production. He does exclusively all of it. Which, I speak into a microphone, which explains why it's so far. Because I speak in a microphone. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> I just took a drink. And so I had <laughs> no. I had one one job to do. <laughs> I didn't do that. Just click the red button. It was not good. And then hit the, upload hit it. the red button. Yeah. Anyway, uh, here we are. Uh, yep. We're back at it. That's a big news, guys. Um, today I started and you can't see this, but I'm showing Rob a new journal. Oh. Um, always something very special. It's like starting oh, a new year. So you start special. A new journal. It's crisp. It's clean. Un adulterated so what, what kind is it um, so i you and i both carry around like the little leather thing that holds the cashier holds is that how it's pronounced uh called a moleskin yeah it's a moleskin but the kind that it is people call them cashier but there's not actually an s there it's like cashier or something like that is that Cahier? like ax i don't know it's just the style of moleskin do anyway you, do you use the dotted one well of course of course of course is you there, do is yes. there any other okay so here's the thing about this i usually go through these not actually the quickest i go through about two a year oh wow um on av average but this one the last one was super long i just didn't do a whole lot of journaling in it hmm. so get this i i have it in this folder so i don't know i can't remember when i started it. i pull it out and i always have the start date and the end date in the location i'm at when i start the journal and finish the journal the last one i started in mount vernon April 12th, 2019. Stop. I kid you not, bro. I kid you not. You exactly could. one year. No, you started exactly. it on the 12th. You should have started this new one on the 12th and finished that one on the 11th. No, today's, because they meet, the they meet. Yeah, so I, I have the 12th and then the 11th. I don't want to overlap. That would be weird. 
No, no, no. The new one would start on the twelfth, so it wouldn't no, be it's, an overlap. No, it's like it's like a, it's like a whole year, right? So, so you your don't... your old journal didn't make it all three hundred sixty five days. It made it three hundred sixty four. Yeah, it did because it's still here. I'm still. I got a couple more notes taking it. Okay, there I'll you finish go. it out today. Nicely done. Nicely done. It'll be it. Mm, I know that is. Man, I feel really good about my life right now. Yeah, <laughs> you should. <laughs> you should with that. Doesn't okay. take much for me. Yeah. Well, today we're getting into. Um, Something that we were really excited about, yeah. a, an, an interview with author, um, pastor, professor, Jared C. Wilson. And I, I don't know if he's a pastor currently, but I think he's a professor and okay. he teaches at a, at a church. Uh, is a kind Good of a catch. pastoral training center. Good catch. Yeah. He, he used to be a pastor, but mm-hmm. he now serves the church um, in numerous ways outside of the pastoral yeah. role. But man, really fun conversation. This guy, you never know mm-hmm. like what guests are going to be like and if they're going to kind of snub you or be I don't know we just don't do a lot of guests on here and it's not really the format that we set up but man he was so fun to talk to I really enjoyed that conversation you guys talked a lot of sports which is good I appreciated that I I was I thought about beforehand making some Browns jokes decided I wouldn't appreciate that you're welcome for that um I know there's when there's Two guys out of the three who root for teams that each respectively have six Super Bowl rings. You can feel like the low man in the totem pole. And Rick, I didn't want you to feel that way. I wanted you to feel apart. We'll say as a Browns fan, you're pretty pretty much used to it. You grow <laughs> up with you grow up with the shame and the guilt. <laughs> uh, no, but it it was great having him and just talking through. Um, he this earlier this year he released a, a new book called The Gospel According to Satan: um, Eight Lies About God That Sound Like the Truth. And um, phenomenal book. I have re- I read it when we first got it. Um, Rob, I know that you have read it cover to cover, and you just love it dearly. Okay, okay. I am nearly done. <laughs> oh, I'm nearly done. Oh. All right. Uh, it's because you had to wrap up your PhD with. That's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Totally. But no, seriously. No, but- like, I'm not saying this just because we're interviewing the guy. Um, yeah. I'm saying this because I, I genuinely mean it. This book is super helpful. Whether yeah. you're a brand new Christian or whether you have been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years, like this mm-hmm. book does a really good job of pointing out some of the subtle lies that we as believers and even non-believers embrace about God mm-hmm. and getting yeah. to the root about where those lies come from. Yeah. Really helpful. And I book. think it's it's a great resource for, for our own uh, discipleship and formation, but also like sometimes there's people, Christians who um, they're, they're not very mature. They're kind of shallow in their faith and you're looking for that, the right kind of uh, resource to kind of put in their hand yeah. to prompt them to, to ask hard questions and to dig deeper. I would say this would be a great book to just give to a, a new believer or someone who's stagnant in their faith or, or just kind of immature in their faith and just, begin to challenge what they believe about Christ and their own theology. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into it. Enjoy the conversation. All right. Welcome, everybody. We are here remotely in quarantine, remotely, not just because Jared lives in a completely different state, um, but also because we are quarantined, we're on lockdown, but we are talking with Jared C. Wilson. Thank you, man, for taking the time to be with us. Um we are super excited to talk with you, but before we get into the topic at hand, why don't you just tell us, tell the listeners, how are you and your family? Yeah, we're doing really well. Um, I guess we're probably about three weeks into Missouri or Kansas City stay-at-home order. I think about three weeks into it. Okay. 
and um, just just enjoying life. Yeah, um, I, I think you know, for my my daughter who's still at home, uh, and I, we're both introverts, so we're we're handling it really really well. And my my wife, who is a a, a raging extrovert, is just <laughs> is is distracting herself. She's staying really busy uh, in order to kind of mitigate the, the, the withdrawal symptoms that she's going through. Yeah. I can relate to that as an yeah. extrovert. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, I'm more, no, but my, uh, my younger daughter and I are doing really well. My older daughter's away at college and, uh, she's doing well, um, also, but, uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, um, I've got some extra margin and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be productive as, as much as I can, but I'm also trying to see the margin as a gift and, um, you know, catch up on some rest that was much needed for me. Yeah. Amen. Um, wanted to ask you kind of a, a personal question Okay. before we get going. So I don't know if you prepared for this or not. This is not on our outline. However, <laughs> this is, this is a good way to start any interview. Um, how do you feel about TB12 wearing a Bucks jersey? I know you're a Pats fan. <laughs> And I'm, yeah. I'm a Steelers can, fan, and can, you guys have just ripped my heart out can so you see many the times. Shrine behind me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this are you? My, this is my Tom Brady shrine. That is. Uh, this is gonna make. This is gonna make for great audio. Exactly. That's, that's hideous. That's impressive. <laughs> Highly impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you uh, gonna be getting yourself a, a Bucks jersey, or in 2021, if they, Lord willing, get that <laughs> season back on and they're playing each other, who are you rooting for? Uh, well. Yeah, I'm still a Patriots guy, but Brady was my gateway in into Patriots franchise fandom. So I'm still a Brady guy. Uh, I'm going to root for him. And um, it's all gravy. Like when he got his sixth ring, I just felt like it doesn't matter. He could retire now. He could go, you know, pull a Favre and, and be half of himself at some other team. I just – I weighed every – you know, every option um, or, or, or every possible outcome and just thought at this point, it doesn't matter. I feel like he has solidified his legacy. There's nothing left to prove. Yep. And so you just have to face the facts, you know, like, at, at, you know, he's still good, but at some point there's that cliff of like, you just, you, you're not what you used to be. And, you know, Brady's not immortal as, as much as I'd like to, you know, to think that he is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's the or, thing. Or he thinks he is. I am, yeah, I yeah. am so anti Patriots as a Steelers fan. Okay. And I was yeah. so happy that he left the Patriots, but even as a guy who's just been beat up by Tom Brady and the Pats and their dynasty, like I am reluctant, but I have succumbed to it that he is the indisputable goat at the position. Yeah. Like well, you have I six rings. That. I know that, that that's big of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But hey, guys, we'll uh, we'll get back on topic here. So Jared C. Wilson, he is for those of you who don't know, he's the assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Spurgeon College. Uh, he is an author in residence at Midwestern Seminary, general editor of For the Church, which is a great resource. Um, he is the director of pastoral training of the Pastoral Training Center at Liberty Baptist Church in Kansas City. And he is the author of several books, including the one that we are going to talk about today, The Gospel According to Satan. And I got to give a tip of the cap because whoever did your cover work, great job. <laughs> it's, it's very sinister yeah. looking. And I feel like <laughs> The Gospel According to Satan, that cover should be very sinister looking. Yeah. But the subtitle is Eight Lies About God That Sound Like 
the truth. So we have um, a few questions here, but the first thing that we just wanted to ask you is what prompted you to write the gospel according to Satan? Yeah, you know, it was actually um, inspired by another book. I was in, um, I, I think a Barnes and Noble or something, you know, like that, just a regular old bookstore looking to the religion section. And, um, you know, that can be a mixed bag as, as I'm sure you're, you're aware. And I came across a book by William Paul Young, who's the guy who wrote the shack. And I didn't know that he wrote nonfiction. I, I wasn't familiar with the book. Um, later I saw, uh, Tim Challies reviewed this book, but it's called lies people believe about God or lies we believe about God, something like yeah. that. And so I was intrigued and I took it off the shelf and started, you know, thumbing through it. And there were some things in it that, um, I think most evangelicals would agree are lies, things like, you know, you know, uh, God is a magician or something like that. You know, it, yeah, there were some things in there that were fine, but then the, I came across a series of chapters that were you know, kind of troubling me. Um, things that William Paul Young was was calling um, lies that were actually, I think, pretty direct uh, gospel truths. Mm-hmm. Uh, things about you know our need to be forgiven. Things about the cross uh, being about wrath. All those sort of things. And it really was kind of a full you know you know frontal assault on the idea of Christ receiving the punishment for sin at the cross. And this just light bulb went on for me, um, uh, basically thinking, you know, if the devil wrote a book, it might look like it might look like this. Yeah. And that's kind of where the idea came from, which is, um, okay, if the devil did write a book, what would be some things that um, he would put in it in in terms of misleading Christians? And so I kind of merged that with Paul in in Colossians 2, uh, warning about plausible arguments. He says, you know, write this so you won't be led astray by plausible arguments. So, you know, outright heresy or, or, or outright lies, most Christians tend to see coming, you know, we still need to be on guard against those things, but it's the ones that, that have like a ring of truth to them or kind of have a kernel of, uh, uh, or, a um, you know, a, uh, a superficial covering of truth to them that we need to be most on guard, uh, against. And so the chapters in the book basically, uh, take a look at some common either slogans or ideas that are either in the culture or in uh, the evangelical church or both that sound like they could be true or or maybe are a half truth, but at the root have um, you know something the devil could use to kind of you know get his hooks in us. Yeah, Jared, I was just wondering as I was reading through the book, I really um, enjoyed it, and I was noticed the pattern how, and we'll get into this a little bit, how the chapters move from kind of these falsehoods that Christians would say, there's no way, only those in the world would agree to those, to more uh, falsehoods that, that Christians even hold to, um, and you lay that out in a, in a real good way, but before we get into all that, just a quick question on who the, you, you dedicated the book to uh, Richard Sean Scott II, um, and it seems like every book is dedicated to people and that's sometimes you just pass over that when you're reading a book, but that's a lot of work to put into a book and to dedicate that to someone is really significant. Can you tell us uh, who that person is and, and why you dedicated this book to them? Yeah, it's dedicated to, um, to his memory. Richard was a friend of mine and a member of my church um, at, at the last church I pastored, which was in Vermont. And um, he had a brain tumor and passed away in 2013 uh, but I was privileged to meet him. He had cancer when I met him, so he was already 
you know, kind of battling that, um, and, um, was able to walk with him for about three years through that. Um, he and his wife, he had two small children that, you know, he left behind in his passing. Uh, he was in his early thirties. Um, and so it was just a really tragic situation, but he was a really courageous guy, really, um, walked closely with the Lord. And even though, you know, I baptized him and, and, and discipled him, he really taught me a lot about, um, sticking close to God, especially in the midst of suffering, because he, you know, he went through, um, an immense amount of suffering, um, and, uh, and fear and anxiety as, as well. Um, but always was, was pointing to the glory of Christ. That was his chief concern. He wanted his suffering to be a witness to his, uh, family who most of, um, most of whom were not believers, or at least at, at the time were not believers. And so that was his major concern was that somehow I can steward um, th- this affliction that I have um, that others might be able to see Jesus in me. And it was just, he was one of the most impressive guys that I ever met. And so, yeah, it, it, it um, you know, I thought, why not a book that, that uh, is aimed at helping people see the glory of Christ beneath uh, the enemy's deceptions, uh, including about things like suffering. Uh, you know, why not dedicate a book like that to his memory? Yeah. Amen. Oh, that's great. No. Yeah, that really is. Um, I think, I think about how you could be rejoicing and faithful the way that you said that, that he was, um, yes. by, and one of the primary ways is obviously knowing God for who he really is and for believing the truths that are in scripture and so how appropriate to devote a book to point out the lies of satan i mean i think of john eight forty four, satan being the father of lies and so obviously he is going to be the best at telling believable lies yeah and so praise god for uh, richard's memory and for his faithfulness even in his last days now in the book uh, you list out eight lies that satan uses uh, to deceive and derail people. And these lies, as we've already covered, are more accepted than we tend to think. And they've certainly gained footing not only in our culture, but also our churches and even our own hearts in ways that maybe we even aren't aware of. And so as we, as a people, live in a culture that perhaps more than ever before has confusion about what truth really is, um, it's it's all the more difficult to be able to point out what a lie is. And so how does understanding a lie or lies for that matter, because this book covers several of them, how does that help illuminate truth? Yeah, I think th- there's two components to that. One is, is understanding the lie itself, um, seeing what the truth claim is, being able to weigh that against the truth of God's word. Um, and as I said previously, some of the things that I call lies here have little, you know, rings of truth to them. So, you know, you know, I've gotten some pushback to say, you know, because the first chapter is God just wants me to be happy. And I've had a lot of, you know, angry people like, you know, God wants us to be sad. God wants us to, you know, and say, the point of that chapter is not that God is unconcerned about our happiness or that God wants us miserable or anything like that. It's, it, it's the, it's the word just God yes. just wants us to be happy. That's really, you know, key uh, to understanding that lie. So just being able to weigh the, you know, the information in, in the, in the truth claim, um, you know, that's really important because if we just, um, uh, uh, you know, eat what's being fed to us by the culture or, or even by religious spokespeople without being, um, 
you know, good Bereans as those who, you know, used to, you know, measure what Paul said against the scriptures, mm-hmm. um, you know, then we're going to be more easily led astray. But the other component to understanding the lie is understanding how lies work and why they're appealing. So it's not just what the lie is explicitly saying, but what it's promising to, to fulfill or, or what it's trying to do in our heart, not just how it's informing our mind or, or, or deceiving our mind, but what it's promising to do for our insides. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really key aspect of being on guard against lies as well, because um, we're, we're vulnerable at a, at a, at a heart level, um, you know, because our, our sinful behavior is driven by um, idolatry, essentially. Um, every sin problem, every behavior problem is a belief problem at its root. And so we have to be um, as clear as possible about what, um, what's at the root of, of lies itself, which is essentially the liar who is, is uh, you know, his desire is that we would be devoured. Um, his desires that we would not believe in the truth, that we would not believe in Christ, that we would not follow, uh, you know, the uh, holy commands of God, you know, that sort of thing. And we have to understand why we're susceptible to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means understanding our sinful nature. It means understanding uh, even kind of the root of of the lies. What was it that Eve found so fascinating uh, and so tempting, and Adam found so you know so tempting and appealing? Um, that's really important about, about our understanding of lies as well is, is understanding how they work on a heart level. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it seems like lies are, are always comfortable and truth is usually not comfortable. It's usually more abrasive. Um, that's for, for all people, I think. Um, and we live in an age where there's just, there's so much information coming at us and it's the information age. Do you think because we are so prone to comfort and then there's already so much information that people are struggling to disseminate information and to understand truth from lie? Does that make you think we struggle with that as a culture? Yeah, I mean the you know the biblical terminology for this is really kind of um, it, it is predicated around assembling for ourselves teachers who scratch our ears, right? Mm-hmm. Or who who, who mm-hmm. satisfy our, our itchy ears. Right. And now more than ever, we have the resources and the capability of assembling as many of those kinds of ear scratchers as possible. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who make a, a good living off of scratching ears. And so I, yeah, there definitely is something about just the, the utter deluge of information, Yeah, the volume yeah. yeah, that we have access to. Um, and it's not even, I don't even know if it's comfortability so much as just numbness where mm-hmm. you, you know, we're so, uh, and, you know, over encompassed by um, just the sheer amount of data that's uh, available to us, the distractions. I think if anything, during this time right now, this, you know, stay at home deal um, where you know, people are having to face themselves. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We're at home with our distractions. You think this would be the most comfortable place that we could be. And yet um, it could be actually pretty fertile soil for the kind of desperation that, you know, cries out to God, because mm-hmm. when, when all you have now is the things you use to soothe yourself against real life, mm. right. you begin to see just how um, uh, unsatisfying those things are. I mean, it's like a drug. Now you have complete right. total access to this drug and you need a bigger hit each time to get that high. And then after a while, it just wears off. It's sad. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't satisfy. I think we're going to reach that stage. You know, people, 
um, they've got more time for Netflix than ever before and, yeah. and online shopping and what, and alcohol and drug or whatever it is, pornography. Right. And with, they may be hitting a wall because those mm-hmm. things used to be kind of the circumstantial soothers or medications. Now they've got unfettered access. Um, and it, and it could, uh, you know, prove itself for its fruitlessness. Yeah. Yeah. That, <clears throat> so in chapter one, this actually ties well. You have a phrase that when I read it, I just stopped because it just, it was one of those ones that just rang and rang really clearly. Um, but it says, you say, the problem with the materialistic worldview is that it doesn't go deep enough. Could you unpack that a little bit? Just kind of explain that for our listeners. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea is that um, the, the finite cannot fulfill the infinite or uh, temporary things cannot fulfill the permanent need. So, hmm. you know, in Ecclesiastes, uh, we're told that, uh, you know, God has put eternity in, in our hearts or he's put eternity inside of us. Um, it's that it's, you know, we're made in God's image. And so even though we're fallen, we're still image bearers. And so there's something about just human nature that has this, this void, um, you know, what Pascal called the God-shaped hole, I guess, the God-shaped vacuum inside of us. And material things, materialism, uh, the pursuit of, you know, temporary pleasures, the pursuit of e- even good things to the exclusion of the glory of God, it's like just throwing you know, pieces of popcorn into outer space. You know, we, we keep thinking this is going to fill it. This is going to yeah. satisfy me. This is going to please me. And so materialism is just our way of trying to medicate or trying to soothe and, you know, trying to fulfill ourselves to fill that void. And, and, and it can't do it because it's not at the same scale. The only thing that can fill the God shaped, uh, you know, vacuum is it, is God himself, satisfaction yeah. in God himself. Amen. So that's what I mean by it is essentially, you know, we keep trying to use temporary things or, or, or finite things to fulfill what really is a yearning um, for God. Yeah, amen. It's interesting, you, you also talk in the book about, you know, the, the rich young ruler and just the material world, how it calls to us. And I think in our culture, and especially in the West in America, we we can all be like middle class or low middle class more there and we still think we're not like the rich young ruler but pretty much by every spectrum or every mark we are very wealthy we have all of our needs met and we're, we're quick to not count ourselves in that class but i think just as people who can pretty much go out and buy any basic thing we need we are so susceptible to filling up our life even with good things i mean uh good books uh, good. Just we just can consume it and consume it. As you're mentioning earlier, I think people are beginning to to find out just that only goes so far. It, it, there's a there's a wall you hit there, and then you need uh, your creator, the one you're created for, uh, to to walk in relationship with him. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know we talk about the, these chapters, and they do kind of scale from just the ones that the world believes to the ones even that the, the church beliefs and i'm gonna i'm not gonna read all the chapters because i don't want to you know i don't want to give stuff away but you know the first chapter says god just wants you to be happy and the seventh chapter is the cross is not about wrath and so many christians would say oh you know it is not about wrath it's just about god's love and in that is this, this subtle deception 
and there could be this idea that Christians cannot be deceived, that we, you know, we, because we have Christ, we are um, immune to those things. Can you talk about kind of where that lie comes from, and then how do we combat that lie that, that we're immune to the devil's lies? You mean the lie that the, the cross is not about wrath? Just in general, the, the lie that Christians cannot be deceived, that, that oh, we I are you. immune from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we have too many warnings in, in the Bible uh, to stay on guard. Now, I mm-hmm. certainly, um, you know, believe that those who are genuine believers, those who are genuinely converted, are eternally secure. I don't believe that right. those who are genuine, um, you know, Christians will ultimately fall away um, from the faith. But we have too many warnings about falling away and too many warnings about, um, uh, um, you know, the deceptions of, uh, of the enemy to think that it's, you know, these are theoretical possibilities. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I may not be, um, or I cannot be eternally insecure because I'm united to Christ through faith, but I could be momentarily deceived, mm-hmm. um, you know, by the enemy. If, if, if he's saying things or suggesting things that, um, you know, really feed my flesh and I, and I'm not on guard against him, uh, against my vulnerabilities, you know, certainly mm-hmm. I can be engaging in sin. I can be engaging in things that don't honor God. Um, and so, yeah, I just think any Christian who says, Oh, you know, Christians can't really be deceived. It, if, if that's what they mean, if they mean, you know, Christians can't really you know lose their salvation, I would agree with them. But if they mean that Christians really can't be deceived, um, I would say then there's a whole lot of the new Testament that doesn't make sense. You know, Peter, even saying to pastors, in First Peter five, keep a watch out for the devil. Um, you know, he's even warning you know ministry leaders especially because I think you know they're a high priority target for the enemy uh, to take out church leaders. So, um, yeah, there's just too much in in the Bible that warns us about being on guard. Um, yeah, spiritual warfare, all those sorts of things. On the flip side of that as well, there are Christians I think who feel defeated, like, yeah. well, the, I just can never overcome this. Yeah, yeah. well, and what's interesting is, uh, you know, the the spiritual armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians, um, you know, putting on the full armor of God to stand against the devil's schemes. All of those things um, that are listed are not things that we can do or create ourselves. Mm-hmm. Every piece of armor is something that that God does. It's His righteousness. It's His truth. It's his, so. It's everything that he's either gifted to us or provides for us through our faith. And so I think I would say to any Christian who feels uh, we're you know, constantly defeated, um, I would ask them where they're looking, because if you're always kind of measuring yourself and looking to yourself, you'll always be insecure. Um, our performance will never measure up to what's required of us. Uh, but the whole point of Christianity is that Christ has measured up on our behalf. Yeah. And so, as um, you know, Robert Murray Machane once said, for every, you know, look at, uh, uh, you know, at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. I think if we keep our eyes on Christ, that's where our, you know, the grounding of our confidence and security should come from. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so it, throughout the book, Jared, you, you use this term and you, you unpack it a lot throughout the book, but it's the term fulfillment, enlightenment, and beauty. Fulfillment, enlightenment, beauty. Um, could you explain what you mean by those three things and how we see that throughout the course of history? Yeah, so I use those three as kind of the 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 irreducible complexity of human longing. Everything that we do, 
um, every, you know, every sin that we engage in, every good thing that we engage in um, is, is in some way our pursuit of either fulfillment, enlightenment, or, and beauty. And I trace that right back to the kind of the DNA of the fall, right? So Eve looks at that, that forbidden fruit and um, the early pages of Genesis says that she saw that it was, um, uh, uh, it was a delight to the eyes. So it, it, you know, it was beautiful. It looked attractive. It promised to satisfy her belly. It looked like it was good for food. So there's satisfaction. And the devil says, you know, you eat this, you'll be like God. You, you, you have your eyes open, you'll get to be like him. Mm-hmm. And so it's holding out a kind of enlightenment or some sort of exaltation um, that she was interested in as well. And, and Adam, I mean, it's Adam's sin that we are in, right? Um, you know, so fulfillment, enlightenment, and beauty were the things that they were chasing sinfully um, in that in that disobedience. Well, I just think that's at the root of every sin is, is, either, is either one of those things or sometimes all three of those things. And we even see them echoed. Um, one reason why I trace the line throughout the book is because I think it's traced throughout the scriptures. And you see kind of the climactic fulfillment of Christ's obedience, where he is tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And it's the same threefold temptation, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the devil told, you know, tells him, uh, you know, all these cities can be yours. There's the, uh, you know, they, you know, they have the uh, uh, array of beauty, just the you know, the breathtaking scope of that. So there's beauty there. Uh, he tells them to turn the stones into bread. So there's the promise of satisfaction. If you just follow what the devil wants you to do, you can be satisfied. Mm-hmm. He tells him to throw himself off. You know, of course the angels will catch you. He essentially exploit your deity, uh, you know, your command of angels. So to, you know, to grasp for this kind of exaltation or enlightenment in, um, you know, ways that are dishonoring to God. And, um, you know, of course, the Lord perfectly obeys and, and his obedience um, exemplified there. But his, per- you know, he was you know, perfectly obedient and, and sinless uh, in his whole life. That's now imputed to us by, uh, uh, you know, through our faith. So his obedience is credited, you know, to us. Our disobedience is, is you know, uh, debited to him at the cross. And what he has done there is basically give us kind of the skeleton key or the antidote to this pursuit of beauty, enlightenment, and fulfillment. Um, we now know that through the gospel, Christ fulfills that for us. Um, when, when you're you know, fixed on Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith, you see that no one is more beautiful than him. He, he is the apex yeah, and the amen. sum of all glory. He is the most glorious person who ever existed. Uh, he has all glory. Um, enlightenment. No one can give you the, the, you know, the way to life, the truth. He is the word incarnate. Yeah, yes. If you want real enlightenment, it can only come through Christ. And then in fulfillment, he really has come to, to complete our joy. He really has come that we might have peace. He really has come and sent the Holy Spirit um, to give us the fruit of the Spirit. So all the things that we're looking for um, in sin and, and the idolatry that leads to it, can only be found in Jesus. And that's why I, I use that kind of threefold recipe oh, like there. Yeah, it's so helpful. It, it's interesting, um, just like reading through history and stuff, and we live obviously a very political time, and, you know, the socialist view of fulfillment and enlightenment is is rich, and it's there. It's this idea of collectively reaching there. And the capitalistic view is each individual fulfilling these things. And you see the, those things play out. We have it throughout history, and they are empty. 
you know, and you, you either have people who, who are strong atheists and don't believe anything or those who have just really shallow um, bumper sticker faith. And you kind of go after this somewhat in your book and, and to list a couple of the chapters, you know, you have a chapter said you need to let go and let God, um, which is like that's everywhere, right? <laughs> I know. Like how many times I've seen that literally as a tattoo on someone's arm. Um, and then you talk about in, in chapter eight, God helps those who help themselves. So we do live in an age where people just take these little truths um, or what they think are truths and they just begin to build their, their life theology behind it. Um, and that's, that's super dangerous, but how do we kind of pick up on that and how can we be sensitive and make sure we're not um, living out bumper sticker theology? Yeah, well, I think a, a lot of it has to do with what our theological diet consists of. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if someone isn't actually, number one, in the Word on a daily basis, if you're not in the Scriptures feeding yourself on, um, you know, the living Word, you're going to be even more susceptible to kind of superficial little slogans and things that, you know, as we said previously, kind of scratch the ears more. Um, or even things that sound bible You know, if you're not right. familiar with the word, if you're not familiar with the real thing, you'll be very susceptible to counterfeits. Um, and and there, you know, I think I saw a Barna survey um, where even professing Christians, like 50-something percent of, of professing Christians um, thought that uh, God helps those who help themselves was a Bible verse. <laughs> so if, if, you're, yeah. if you're not familiar with the Bible— you know, you'll be very susceptible yeah. to things that sound like Bible, right? Yeah. So it's a very uh, Armenian but are, but are perspective. Really. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, and the let go and let God um, thing um, is, you know, has the ring of, you know, it's kind of a sentimental cliche, but it sounds like it's, um, you know, good theology, or at least it sounds um, courageous, you know, in yeah. some way. And, and that's one, you know, that people have gotten angry about as well. I've, I've, I've you know, get, you know, quite a few comments in, yeah. um, in Facebook <laughs> from people who really like the phrase. And when people just mean, I need to trust God more, there's, yeah. there's absolutely nothing wrong yeah. with it. And, and, you know, but I almost wish they would just say that, you know, right. you need to trust God yeah. because yeah, we need to trust God. Yeah. We, Amen. You know, our faith needs to be strengthened, those sorts of things, but let go, but letting go and letting God is usually used in response to people who are either suffering or they're in the midst of um, some kind of anxiety or even confusion about things. Mm-hmm. And the phrase just is, is no help at all. It makes no sense. What is it that I let go of? How do I exactly do that? And then what is it I'm letting God do? There's a theological problem I kind of explore yeah. uh, in, in relation to that phrase. Um, you know, you and I don't let God do anything. He's mm-hmm. not, you know, mm-hmm. beholden to us. He's not waiting for us to right. activate him or so there's just, you know, a few problems with the, you know, bumper sticker theology um, because it just doesn't have a roots in the scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's really good. So um, th- in the book, you describe gospel centered faith, which is something that we all we all strive for. And uh, you define it as the importance of simply refocusing on Jesus to help shield us against clever arguments and appealing half-truths. So a twofold question here. So practically, what do you mean by that? Um, I think it's just help- helpful to be able to um, unpack the definition, really good definition, but want to unpack it. And then second part of that question would be, how do you fight against half-truths? Yeah, so the practical thing um, there's nothing revolutionary or silver bullet there. 
um, accept that. Um, there are a lot of people who read the Bible, but have not learned that Christ is really the the um, the climactic um, figure of of all the scriptures, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So after his resurrection on that road to Emmaus, you know, walking with his, his disciples, it said that he uh, he revealed everything about himself, beginning with the law and the prophets, to them. So from there, and every sermon in the New Testament, literally every sermon in the New Testament is some kind of exposition of an Old Testament. Uh, type or or even passage, the, the very first Christian sermon, Peter at Pentecost, he's you know giving a Christ-centered exposition of Joel and a couple other passages, Psalms and and so forth, and and so what we see looking back is that the whole Bible is about Jesus. I think that's a huge turning point for a lot of Christians who either weren't raised to, um, you know, weren't discipled to know that. Uh, they sit regularly under preaching where Christ is not the focal point. He 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 shows up at the end. He kind of makes a cameo at the end of the sermon. Um, if he's in the sermon, sometimes it's more about uh, um, being a moral example. You know, Jesus was good. Per, you know, was good, so you should be good. Yeah. You know, Jesus was kind, so you be kind. Which are all biblical lessons. There's nothing sinful about that lesson. Yeah. And yet that's not the good news. That's not the gospel. No one was ever saved by trying to be like Jesus. We're saved by Christ despite our, our not being like Jesus. That's the whole point of, right. of Christianity. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, it's not radical in the sense that what it means practically is when you're studying your Bible, you're looking for Jesus. Hmm. But it could actually be radical for some Christians who um, even have been you know, studying the Bible a long time. Um, maybe it can be a source of rejuvenation for their Bible study. I've seen people um, who th- this is like uh, this Copernican revolution in their own mind has really reinvigorated their study of the scriptures because they've never uh, thought of it that way. No one ever told them Jesus was the point of the Old Testament. So it's not about jumping over, you know, what is, is being said there. It's not about not seeing the original context or, or anything like that. Uh, the Old Testament history is real history. It, it really happened. Um, and yet to make the connection to Christ, or as you know, uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon said, making the road to Christ, finding the road from every text to Christ. Yeah. That can be a really great, exciting journey for Christians, I think, who haven't done that. That's the main practical key um, is, is basically just the spiritual disciplines. Um, there's you know, other little practical things that you could you know, build in. What kind of books you read? Um, what kind of, you know, preaching you listen to, if, you know, if someone's the kind of person who listens to either to online or, or, you know, podcast or even, uh, video preaching, TV preaching, um, you know, listening to voices who are constantly pointing you to Christ rather than giving you kind of moralistic pep talks or something like that. Yeah. Uh, those are all really important, but there's no substitute for the word and prayer. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so looking at Christ. And, and that's, you know, the second part of the question was, how do I do it personally to stay on guard? It's, it, it, it's the same thing. It's important for me to um, be um, in relationship with Jesus, <laughs> yeah. um, you yeah. know, because we have this great, pri- we have this great privilege of being friends with the Lord of the universe. Yeah. Wow. And I don't want to take that for granted. I don't want that to be just a, a you know, a home hum part of, you know, the religious wallpaper in my life. Um, I really want, when I read the word to be thinking, man, God is talking to me right now. What an amazing thing. And so trying to kind of stay in tune with the wonder of Christianity, the access we have to God. Um, you know, we all live very ordinary lives. Most of us do anyway. 
Um, you know, we're not seeing great, you know, miracles and, and all those sorts of things. Um, and yet every time, every time, you know, we open up this book, um, you know, the, the window to heaven is open to us and, you know, what a remarkable thing that is. And so for me, I think it's, it's, it's nothing, um, it's nothing unique. It's just the spiritual disciplines, uh, but trying to, um, stay in touch with the wonder of that, to know that I, I actually, um, get to be friends with Jesus. What an amazing thing that we get to be friends with Jesus. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Jared, in the back of the book, you actually put kind of a chart together about some of the lies that we feel and the truth and how to, how to counteract that, which is super helpful. So I just encourage people as well to dig into that. Um, as you're reading or as you're writing this book, how, how did it begin to kind of shape your interactions with these lies um, and just the simple deception of Satan? Yeah, you know, one of the things I, you know, I try to do with all of my books is be as personal as I can and as mm -hmm. honest and transparent. I think, you know, there's a point at which someone doing that, it can be kind of self-indulgent and, and I don't want to mm -hmm. lapse into that. I don't know that I totally avoid that in, in all of my writing, but, um, you know, I try to stay away from that, but also not so clinical, um, you know, coldly theological. I try to approach kind of an affectionate theology and mm -hmm. to be as, um, as autobiographical as I think would be helpful to the reader. And so with this book in particular, it really um, helped me to try to write not as someone who is being, um, you know, uh, you know, judgmental mm -hmm. about those who believe in certain lies. I'm judgmental about the lies. In in some ways, this is my most abrasive book, if I can use that word. It has the most kind of serrated um, mm -hmm. edge to it um, of all my books, and and that was on purpose because I wanted to be as blunt about falsehoods as as, as possible. Yeah. And yet I try to have a pastoral approach, kind of a personal congenial approach in, in offering the encouragement of grace. And so for me, um, it was, you know, part of doing that meant owning up to which lies I am more prone to or susceptible to, mm -hmm. uh, to my own weakness. Um, you know, one of the chapters, the lie that the chapter covers is your feelings are reality. And that one, I think yeah. um, I've identified as probably the one that I'm most uh, you know, vulnerable towards, um, in that chapter, I, uh, I talk about those who either suffer from anxiety, depression, worry, um, or are just going through a kind of suffering. And what happens is the devil loves to come along and say to you, uh, basically either, um, this is happening because God doesn't love you or, you know, you've done something wrong and he's punishing you, or this is how it's always going to be. He wants to steal your hope away. Mm -hmm. So he wants to turn your, you know, you know, your difficulty into despair and say, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. H how you feel now is, is the, is, is, is what defines reality. This is how it actually is. And mm -hmm. so, you know, just to be real honest, I have to, um, in, in those kind of moments, um, remind myself that my feelings, Feelings are important. It's not about ignoring how you feel. Our feelings tell us something. They tell us something important, but they don't tell us the whole story. They don't tell us the whole of reality. There's something more important and something more enduring than what I feel in any given moment. Um, and that's the reality that, that Christ came and died for me and rose again for me and forever lives to intercede for me. And so um, in that chapter, I try to you know, kind of reflect my own, I don't tell a whole lot of personal stories, but that's coming from a very personal place. And I hope yeah. the rest of the book is as well. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I, as I was going through the book, uh, that was definitely the chapter that kind of struck home the most for me as far as areas, lies that I tend to believe as well. Um, it, it's, it's hard, as you said, we don't want to um, throw away our feelings and not acknowledge them, but we don't hold them as truth. So that, that was really good. Um, another question, as, you, as you're writing this book, like there's some similarities. You, you talk about C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters. You have a couple quotes there. And there has been some pushback from the evangelical community on the Screwtape Letters that we, sh- we don't even need to indulge in um, that kind of stuff or how the, the devil thinks or any of that stuff. Have you had any kind of pushback from people like, hey, I don't, I don't need to worry about anything about the devil or Satan. I just need to look to Jesus. Yeah, actually, uh, whenever – they uh um whenever there's a post about this on my facebook page that's where it usually hits um, <laughs> man it's the, the devil facebook, yeah. <laughs> and i man i've been told um so i mean i'll set aside some of the really ridiculous stuff because some people they just see the title and they think it's actually yeah. like a, a satanist book. yeah like you've become a satanist <laughs> that it's about satanism or, and it's like pro-satan yeah. and so they'll say things like you're gonna burden hell for writing this you know oh man <laughs> that's not an exaggeration i literally oh, had somebody say wow that. And, you know, and, you know, part of me is sort of like, okay, if I'm being charitable, they think I'm a Satanist <laughs> yeah, just right. based on the title. So, yeah, I am, you know, if I were a Satanist, I was, you know, I am yeah. you know, destined for right. hell. Yep. But also, if you're trying to reach people, is that what, you know, I don't know. If that, <laughs> right. Is, is that, that effective? I don't, I don't think so. How about repent and believe, you know, something like <laughs> yeah. that. But setting that aside, there are people who will say, you know, dev, you know the devil was defeated 2,000 years ago. I don't need to worry yeah. about him. Um, I get that comment, uh, a lot. Um, and, and the, the core theology is true. Yes. Mm -hmm. Christ defeated the powers of wickedness at the cross. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Mm -hmm. Um, the record of dead is canceled. The accuser, uh, you know, his, his lies are exactly that they are lies. You know, he cannot, um, you know, what he uses to accuse us are things that the ultimate judge has already forgiven. So in that mm-hmm. sense, they're correct. And yet, as we you know, said earlier, there are too many warnings in the Bible about being mm-hmm. on guard yeah. for us to act like we don't need even, even to, you know, to think about this. And so to kind of bring it back to Lewis, one thing that I love about him in, in, in the intro to Screwtape Letters is he says that you know, there are two errors that the Christian can make about the devil. One is that you're overly interested in him, right? You, you're too indulgent in your interest. And maybe that's what some people are concerned about. But the other is having no interest at all. You you never think about him, right? And so you know, I'm trying to avoid that other pendulum swing. I grew up right. in an era where, you know, there were a lot of you know believers and kind of the spiritual warfare teaching and stuff mm-hmm. that was you know I think largely unhelpful. There were some shades of truth in some of it, um, and it was probably an overemphasis. You know, um, uh, uh, you know, a, lo- a wrong look, an obsessive look at, at mm-hmm. evil and, right. you know, satanic panic and that kind of thing. But I think maybe we've swung too far the other way. We, we act like there isn't an enemy. We act like he's not real or that he can't do anything that would harm us or those who, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, those that we love. And so just because he cannot harm us eternally doesn't mean that we couldn't be deceived by him. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, Jared, this book, <laughs> super helpful. Love it, man. Um, you're, you've written tons of books, um, and I imagine— how many, how many books have you written, Jared? 
I don't know. I think it's around 19. If you if you count like the Bible studies and things, yeah. it's about 19. I That's think. only like Those, two or three more than me. So, yeah. <laughs> as non-authors, we count everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, are you working on a book right now with this time that you have, kind of being under quarantine? Yeah, actually. So I'm working on the edits to a couple things. Okay. Um, my agent is 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 shopping a, a proposal for the next project. I'm finishing edits on a ministry book that's coming out from Zondervan next year and edits on a novel actually that's coming out this fall from Broadman and Holman. Oh, nice. Um, Is that your first novel? But I'm not currently like writing a new project, just kind of uh, putting finishing touches on things um, already written. Yeah. Is that your first novel or is that, have you written? No, it's actually, it's, it'll be my second published novel, my third written novel. I've got one unpublished. I had a novel that came out. It was actually the first book I ever wrote. Um, and, and when I first started trying to be published, it was as a novelist and just could not get any traction. Then I had some nonfiction, um, you know, success. And, um, that first novel, I had a publisher come back and, and ask if they could, you know, publish that it was out for about a year. We got the rights back really quickly. Um, so it's still kind of out there. It's called other world. Um, I think you can find it on Amazon and things, but nice. um, this one that's coming out, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Very can cool. Can you tell us anything about it or is it like, yeah, scary? it's called, it's called Echo Island. Okay. Um, okay. it's sort of a crypto thriller. It's, it's a young adult novel. Okay. Um, it's about these four boys who graduate high school. They live on an Island off the coast, uh, uh, coast of Washington state. And they go to celebrate high school graduation by camping on the mainland. And when they go back to their small town island at the end of their camping trip, they discover that everyone has disappeared and nothing electronic works. So it it begins with a mystery of, you know, where did everybody go? And it's not the rapture. Yeah. P.S. Not the rapture. (laughs) It's left behind. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. So they're trying. In in fact, there's some jokes about that in there. But they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, where everybody went, why nothing electronic works um you know are they really alone you know so there's some mysteries that, that get folded into it's kind of a uh a metaphor for um sovereignty and free will so maybe oh, nice um cool. yeah it, it can help kind of illustratively um some folks with uh, with those big subjects nice and that, and that comes out in the fall it comes out yeah in october okay great yeah one more question for you jared yeah it seems yeah. like you read a lot how do you, is it a gift that you read so fast and so much, or is it a discipline that you've, you've taught yourself? Are you Al Mohler status when it comes to reading or? No, or I don't read near that much. Um, I try to read about a hundred pages a day on a good day. That's I impressive, do read man. really, yeah, I do read really quickly. It depends on the type of book. If it's something like right now I'm reading Goldsworthy's uh, gospel centered um, hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. That's not one I can skim. I have to read that pretty slowly. Um, but I'm reading Thomas Kidd's book on Benjamin Franklin also. And I try to do, tw- I usually have four books or so going. I try to do 20 pages or so in each. Um, and it, I don't know, I've never like explicitly taught myself, like I need to train myself to do this. I've just been reading since I was a little kid. And so I think yeah. it's, it's, it's hard for me not to do it. Yeah. Jer- yeah. That's not a problem I had. So yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, how can, how can people stay in touch with you? How can they follow you on social media? Um, and give you encouraging um, remarks about how you're going to burn in hell for writing this book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, everything, uh, I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Jared C. Wilson. Uh, same for Instagram, um, Facebook, it's author Jared Wilson, something like that. 
Uh, if you if you search Jared C. Wilson, you'll find me. But all of that is linked at my website. If you go to jaredcwilson.com, uh, it's got a list of all my books. I could I, I should probably go there and count them just to see how many I you know I've, I've written. I can answer that question better next time. Um, but all you know, all my books are there. Uh, speaking schedules there, um, but also links to everything. Um, you know, book links, uh, social media links, all that sort of deal. Yeah. Yeah, I saw your speaking list, which obviously a lot got canceled. And yeah. you never you never come to Ohio. You got something against the Buckeye State? Or? I don't know. I was in Ohio last year, I think. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, where was I? Yeah, it's I was in Ohio back. last year. I've been into Ohio probably four or five times, actually, man. So, wow. so okay, okay. According okay. according to another podcast that I listened to that we won't mention here, you're pretty good yeah. friends with a guy in Ashland. Oh, that's right, <laughs> Ronald J. Martin. <laughs> Ronald yeah, J. Yeah. Martin. <laughs> yeah. So. You've, you spent some time in Ohio. You should yeah. have known that, Rick. Yeah, I've been there. Um, One of my first speaking engagements was in Columbus, actually. It was, uh, oh, yeah? yeah, 2010, I think. Well, that's um, a great place to get started. We like to start people off yeah. well here in Ohio. In, in Gahanna. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In almost, I almost moved to Gahanna. Yeah. Very cool, man. There you go. All right. Well, one final question for me and then Jared, we'll, we'll let you go. First off, thanks so much, man, for taking the time. Um, but quick question. Were you happy or were you disappointed that Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl and everyone's saying he's going to take Tom Brady's place? Yeah, no, I'm happy. First of all, he's going to take Tom Brady's place. I mean, sl- slow down. Exactly. It's, it's great that he's exactly. got a Super Bowl. Five more to go. Uh, you know, when he gets, you know, another one, maybe we can start talking. Um, but I was happy. It's it's great living in a city that, you know, that wins the big game. Um, yeah. you know, I don't hate the chiefs. I, I'm not a chiefs fan. Um, but I, I'm not against them. And, and, and it's yeah. fun. It's fun living someplace that, you know, that wins a super bowl or, or a couple years ago, I'm not a baseball guy at all. I don't pay attention to baseball, but it was fun being here when the Royals won the world series. And, um, it's just a good thing for the city. So yeah, I, yeah, I was happy. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I was super pumped for Andy Reid. That guy's just a, a great guy. Classic. Super happy to see him get around. Yeah, long time coming for him. Yeah, for sure. exactly. But Hey man, Super grateful for you taking the time. Know you're a busy guy writing tons of books, almost reaching two dozen. Uh, but thank you, seriously, yeah. for joining us here on our, on our little Try Hard podcast. And um, we we look forward to the projects that are to come. You're a very gifted yeah, writer. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. And listeners, you should totally pick this book up. Jared's also got some other great books. Um, I've got a couple of them on, on my shelf that I still need to dive into. But we will link to this book in the show notes. Um, head over there and pick up a copy. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, brothers. All right. So for that you- was the worst thing ever. <laughs> Stop. That was terrible. So you guys, um, just kidding. For us, this is like a matter of ten <laughs> seconds of a difference. But you guys just listened to probably 45, 50 minutes of an interview. Thank you for listening to that. But we hope that that was beneficial. Yeah. A link to the book will be in the show notes. You can find our show notes. Um, on our website, simpletheology.org. Click the episodes button and you can see uh, this episode, The Gospel According to Satan. Click on that and you'll scroll down and you'll see a link to the book. Guys, pick up the book. It's so good. Pick yeah, up a few of really them. Is. If, if you're, maybe you as a discipleship group, some some of your friends, you're trying to think through like what would be a good book for us to go through that's not um, super thick and dense to where mm-hmm. people lose interest after a while, but also just helps provoke some good conversation. Man, this would be a good, good book to pick up, and it's not—it's—it's it's certainly not um, something that is going to take you six months to get through. It's 
a good size, very practical, very helpful. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed reading it. Um, and, and Jared just has a lot of, of really good resources that would point people to. And we talk a lot about resources on the show. We're always saying, hey, check this book out, go yep. to this website, read this article. Um, and we don't do that so much just to be throwing content out to you guys, but it's really important what you put in is what you get out. So you put in uh, kind of weak stuff, bad theology, just garbage, garbage in, garbage out. Hmm. And we believe that what we consume as Christians, kind of our, as Jared mentioned, our diet, what it consists of is really important to our maturity and our continued growth and holiness. So we really want to encourage you guys to check that stuff out. Yeah. Amen. All right, gang. Um, you can find us on social media at Simple Theology Pod. That's for Instagram. Um, or you mm-hmm. could use the social media hashtag, Simple Theology Pod. You can find us on Facebook at Simple Theology. You can call us. I'm trying to think of this whole thing. Uh, call us. Mm-hmm. Leave us a message yeah. at 614 233 1098. Leave us a voicemail there. You can shoot us an email at info at simpletheology.org. A few of you have been doing that recently. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Yeah, we plan on tackling some of those topics. And what's another way they can get in touch with us, Rick? Is that it? Go to our website, simpletheology.org. Um, yeah, definitely check out the website. Um, we are trying to just do our best to stay connected. We, you know, there's ebbs and flows. We check the voicemails and check the emails. We don't but, have any voicemails. Um, one thing, thanks for checking I know you're going to bring that up. That. Um, I don't, we haven't plugged this for a while and we usually don't anymore, but hey, if you do enjoy the show, please, by all means, go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast and give us five stars. Yeah. Give us a lot of, get a lot of love there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd appreciate that. Yep. Also, um, hey Rob, how about, what, you want to focus here? Well, I'm trying to pull this up just to see if, if, uh, I'll do this. Oh, you look um, like you're looking in your doorway. No, I'm, I'm looking at my other, door. I've got two screens going. But you can also support us, guys. We, we don't plug this as Tech much as savvy, we should. Rob. But you can also help us out. We get a very small kickback. Helps us out. Mm. Uh, just cover our expenses. If you go to audibletrial.com slash simpletheology, you can pick up a free book. And you can try Audible for one month for free. You get the book for free. Even yeah. if you don't continue on with the subscription, you can still keep that book. Audible is being generous with that. So if you want to help us out, um, audibletrial.com slash simple theology. Rob, in the suggestion box, we have one from Bean Nelson. Um, are you going to get to that next nope. week or what? <laughs> Okay. That's a joke. Um, And I did just check. I wanted to be careful, but I did just check. And the book that we just talked about, The Gospel According to Satan, is on Audible. So you can pick this book up at no cost and have it read to you. So There you go. Cool, guys. I don't know if it's read by Jared or not. Read by the author? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We should have him read the whole thing on the show. Nope. Narrated by Stephen Roy Grimsley. What a great name for a... a, a, That is a great name. uh, Grimsley. Right. Okay. Let's wrap this thing. All right. All right. Peace out, y'all. That's a wrap. Appreciate you guys. Peace. Peace.